0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to square one a podcast where we
1: take our guests back to square one where they first started their business so that you can learn from their
0: successes and failures brought to you by Isaiah and Malcolm with Omni Home Services. Welcome everybody to the square one podcast with Mr. Thomas DeMoss today Thomas owns Chattanooga property solutions Thomas is pretty impressive. He buys very distressed properties in Chattanooga. He had a partnership. He has at least five people that work as uh, subcontractors, and Thomas himself owns at least 40 rental properties. So, Thomas, welcome. Yeah, Thanks, man. Glad to be here. So, Thomas, uh, let's hop right into it. You have 40-something rental properties. The majority of people that are probably listening to our podcast and at least on our podcast are somewhat invested in rental properties. 40 is a ton.
2: It is a lot uh, in perspective. There's always people that have more and some people have less. And it's kind of what we've been focusing on for the past, gosh, 20 years just to keep growing that. So, help us out here and let's just get straight into the meat of it. Uh,
0: that's a good thing for you, right? To have oh, absolutely. It. So, what do you focus on? Have you ever read The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller? I have not read that. So, he, his, uh, the book says, like, what are some specifics? Yeah. So,
2: what do you look for? What do you focus on? T- talk to us. So, that, that has changed over the years when we first got started um, I give you a little bit of background I I was uh, my wife and I moved to Chattanooga about 20 years ago Uh, she's from here I was not we love the area Uh, we were both employed had great w2 jobs had a lot of disposable income so we just started looking for properties that fit what we wanted to take into they were mostly a b class properties working full-time jobs you didn't have a lot of time to have bad tenants and have bad property so we and I give credit to my wife here. She knew what we should do, and fortunately, I listened to her. So we were <laughs> look, we were looking at properties that were in that A B class in that good area. Um, we bought our first house in the uh, Manchester Heights area, Fairfax Heights area, that uh, three seven four one five Chattanooga, and we just wanted to find houses that were in that geographic area, literally five minutes away. So. The numbers, we wanted to be able to at least put 20% down, so we were always using traditional mortgages. We were doing things in our, in our personal name, which some people say, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, you do what you can. Um, we were looking at minimum 20% ROI on that. Um, I wanted to cash flow a minimum of at least $250 a door, and that's kind of where we started, and we, were, we did fairly well, so it was a little bit easier back then. Uh <laughs> it was a little easier back then. Uh do what you
0: can. I love that. So yeah, you wanted
2: a cash flow, Absolutely. you know, so many dollars. What about now? So now um the the last four or five houses that we bought, um, because of the rate environment and we were um we had some liquidity. I've been sitting on them. I have a house we've got in Utah that honestly it may or may not cash flow that great, but it's in an incredible location. And if I look back 20 years from now, I'll regret getting rid of it. So we're just, we held on to it. Um, one of the companies, our original company that we started was North River Properties because I did not want to invest anywhere other than north of the river in Chattanooga. That was our geographic location it fit that five minute radius from our house super easy to do we've expanded out from that in the last couple years i've got two houses that we just bought in lafayette because we just we've got the opportunities to do that and and we just we've kind of migrated out and and, and evolved a little bit of our business to to go outside of those areas so you said that you started with ab properties would you be willing to go outside of that realm now your? in your journey? (laughs) We have. uh, I just got through selling one that we expanded outside of that because it it didn't fit what I wanted to do. So I'll clarify that. We're actually building a new construction house right off of Eli Road. The original goal was to build it and flip it. But going back to what I just said, they're not making any more land in Chattanooga. And where that location is and the house, it's a new house. I sold one in that kind of C-class area that I wasn't really comfortable with. I hadn't done an eviction. We've been doing this for 20 years. Did our first eviction two years ago. This particular property was one of those. So kind of got a little bit of bad feelings. So basically just sold it, did really, really well on it. We're going to take all of our money and we're going to put it in this other house that fits a little bit easier to do.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So I love uh, Thomas, and we're going to get back to uh, ask you a couple more questions about purchasing rental properties. But a couple of years ago, you told me at the home show, don't sell anything.
2: And then you sold. So do you regret selling anything other than and if we do this five years from now, I may regret selling that house I just told you about. <laughs> but I, I do. I, I Being in this business and seeing the growth that Chattanooga has experienced and just looking at the price points that we're able to buy. I mean, when we first got started, we were buying things off the MLS, which You don't do that anymore. Yeah, it's incredible just to see kind of where things are at. And, yeah, honestly, I've regretted selling just about every property that we have ever sold.
0: How about a specific property on Crompton
2: Street? Do (laughs) you regret selling that? (laughs) There's a couple that I'm thankful we did. Uh, Yeah, hopefully the person we sold that to did pretty well with it.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Thomas
2: listed a house on
0: Crompton Street that I bought. That thing was a lot of work. If I know Joey doesn't listen to our podcast, thank God because he'd murder me for this, but that was a lot of work. Uh, if you're not familiar with Lupton City, Lupton City was designed by Mr. Lupton and he made this very odd mm. waste system that quite literally goes under the bottom of our house. So thanks, Thomas. Appreciate that. We're going to move on. Uh, Tell us, now you used to have a partnership and you can dive into that as much as you want. But uh, what we talk about is like the failures that we've experienced and what we've learned from that. You want to tell us whether it's buying rental properties or the partnership itself, what's a big failure that you had to like muscle through?
2: So retrospectively, um, I guess failure is a hard word. I don't really like it a lot. uh, Learning um, is what we're we're trying to do through everything. When we first got started uh, with Chattanooga Property Solutions, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, There was a a buddy of mine who kind of had a little bit more experience on the rehab side, new construction side. I had just dealt with single family rentals and and kind of that part. He had been an agent. So I identified some things that he brought to the table that I thought could complement what we had. So we formed a partnership um, and had great success over five years. And, you know, I've heard you talk about this and everybody, talk. you you really need to lay out defined roles when you're coming into a partnership. We got very fortunate. Our partnership worked really, really well. We had some uh, issues and friction, but for the most part, it went good. Um, I think what we realized is when businesses are going to evolve and they may exceed a partner's capacity to continue to, to add value. Um, and I think as you continue to grow your business, you've got to reevaluate that as well and make sure that everybody in the partnership is continuing to add the same value that you are. I heard you mention this about yours. Perception is reality. And if you don't perceive your partners doing that, and I, once again, I'm not saying that my partnership did that, but it is something to be aware of when you go into a partnership that You want to be perceived as working just as hard as your partner and vice versa. So
0: I love that you say that because it's just real. Right. And, uh, you know, my buddy, Doug Edrington always says like, and my brother actually is saying like, Hey, I'm thinking about going into partnership with somebody. And I said, he says, you got to ask yourself, why right? a partnership only works if you need people. So like, right. what can I bring that you need? And what are you bringing that I need? Because let's just be real. Cause we're buddies or you might know a little uh, more than I do. It doesn't mean we need to be partners. Right. So can you expound on the moment, the time that you started realizing that I don't want to say your partner was not as valuable But when that started kind of breaking apart Mm -hmm. and how, I mean,
2: how did that work out? Yeah. So like I said, I want to be clear. We had a wonderful partnership. And just because I say that does not mean that everything's perfect. Good partnerships still have friction. They don't grow. They don't get better. It's just like a marriage. You know, if you can't overcome those difficulties in a relationship, your marriage is not going to last. So I, I view a partnership as the same way. Um, with our particular partnership, there was a couple of different things. There was an age difference. Um, just, uh, I guess, what we wanted to achieve financially, um, a little bit of misalignment there. But, um, but and that's kind of it. When we started the business, the reason we started Chattanooga Property Solutions was to help grow our rental portfolio. I mentioned that we had bought properties off the MLS and as Chattanooga continued to grow and everybody came in here, the attention of it guy got, it got a little harder to do that. So we needed to create a company by which we could buy off market deals. and that's what we did. And so times were great. it was super easy. I mean we did not have to spend a lot in marketing dollars to find the properties that came through, and, and we did really, really well. And you know to kind of blame me, a mistake I made, we lost focus. We were so attracted to that instant money, you know, fix and flip. It was easy to fix and flip three, four, five years ago, that it looks good, but you do sacrifice that long-term wealth-building aspect that real estate provides you when you relinquish control of the asset. Fair enough. So, speaking of your partnership, Thomas,
0: and we'll move on to a couple other questions here in just a second, but when you went in with your partner,
2: did you have an exit plan? We didn't. Yeah, nobody ever does. No, we, we didn't. Um, I needed somebody. We both identified that we needed each other to kind of do what we want to do for the immediate thing. And it worked out. Like I said, five years, great, great run. But you do need an exit plan. You've got to identify what you want to accomplish. Um, probably, I think, the third year. We saw the market kind of tighten a little bit, and somehow or another, we both got together and said, you know what? Let's reevaluate why we're doing what we're doing, and we did start to buy and hold more property, so that was a good thing. It was just one of those things, yeah, times are going great, and you don't really reevaluate until you get hit in the gut, and you're like, oh, we got to do something now." now. You said
0: you're still friends with your former partner how would you that never happens by the way (laughs) (laughs) how would you suggest uh maybe even the beginning of a roadmap of how that can happen
2: like i said we are super fortunate um yeah i mentioned before as a christian i do bring in my faith i I put a lot of trust in god god works in mysterious ways and and so the reason we're partners is because of some fluke things that happened in my partner's life and I mean, I, I love him to death. Uh, we had lunch a couple weeks ago, kind of hung out, you know. But going, if I had to redo it again, there would be uh, clear expectations uh, of who's going to do what. What does that look like? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, literally write those down because if you make assumptions, you know what that gets you. And you just don't want to do that. And, and every year, I think it's important, even if you're in a partnership to have that meeting with your partner to establish where you are, look back, celebrate the wins. But then again, as you look forward and say, Hey, where are we misaligned? Where did we need to get realigned? Is it still working for everybody? And those are good conversations to have. And I think if you're open with that, it helps the partnership grow. And it may be, it may expose the reality that the partnership doesn't need to be anymore. And that may be a good thing. How often do we need to reevaluate
0: that? That's, I mean, that's solid advice. Yeah.
2: I like that. I'd say at least once a year. Sure. I mean, everybody has strategic planning once a year. But, I mean, I've got a, a buddy of mine who, probably for lack of a better term, is a business coach. And and one of the things, his favorite terms is, and he mentions this with his wife. He said, I want to make sure that I'm aligned with my wife on these certain things. Well, if you don't have the conversations about them, you may assume that you are aligned. And then guess what's Yeah, then reality is going to set in. So having those conversations and what you both want to accomplish is huge. So do you have those alignment conversations with your wife? You know, I don't do a good job with that. (laughs) And I am because it is one of those things. You mentioned failures and life is about self-improvement. You know, if I'm the person that I was a year ago, I'm not satisfied with that. Not to keep bringing up my faith, but one of the things that I'm convicted of is stewardship. Like, we're called to steward our gifts and abilities to the best of our, the best we can. And I take that seriously. That's really good. Kind of
1: touching on your personal life that you were talking about. We notice that some people that we bring on here have a like definitive favorite routine, whether it's morning, afternoon, certain day of the week. Do you have anything like that, Thomas?
2: I wish I could say that I did. One of the things that I really enjoy, I mean, guys, I'm wearing a button down shirt right now. I I don't, this is the most dressed up I get since I walked away from being employed. You know, I think it was, oh gosh, I don't know, seven years ago when we started our family. we, we, We homeschooled our kids up until three years ago. I love flexibility. I am a hard worker. I will outwork just about anybody. But to say that you've got to operate in this specific manner and everybody has to do this, otherwise, I just I don't believe that. Everybody's different. I'm not an early morning guy. I love when we put our kids to bed. My wife and I, we stay up probably later than we should, but that's where we talk and we hang out. And so that causes me to not have to get up early. But now that our kids are in school, our routine has changed a little bit. So we do get up you know, early morning, take kids to school, spend time with them. So we do have some routine. I would encourage, you know, exercise is, is huge. Um, you know, that's one of those things. I don't, I miss it. It's a habit that we want to form into that. So, um, yeah. I think
0: we can all agree that our favorite routine is putting our kids to bed and then, you know, <laughs> doing anything uh by the way you need to stop posting about your runs thomas <laughs> is like oh yeah, I, I went for a run for the first time in nine years and he's running like seven minute miles and something i'm like oh yeah, wow by the way uh clarification for our listeners thomas is wearing a button down but the rest of us wear hoodies so like <laughs> that's his fault we don't re- we don't require that so thomas Talking about real estate investment, not even fix and flip, but I think the majority of our listeners are very much into investing or want to be. Can you teach us one thing we can do that would provide a positive ROI in our uh,
2: strategy? Yeah. So one of the simple things and kind of my... (laughs) When I got started, I am a licensed real estate agent. I did the bigger pockets thing. I would get a hundred phone calls a year. Hey man, we're ready to get started. What can we do? And I would tell them the same thing. Real estate is a long game. The gurus out there are saying, Well, you want financial freedom. You got to do time freedom. You got to do this. I've never met an entrepreneur that spends most of his time on the beach. <laughs> because if they have made a successful business, they're going to move on to the next successful business. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily workaholics, but they're they're geared for that. So one of the folks that I, as I talk to these people, I'd say, because you'd hear it. Well, I listen to this podcast. I want to buy a couple of rental properties. i want to be retired in six months. So I'm going to quit my job. I tell them that's the dumbest thing you can ever do. If you've got a great W-2 job that gives you health insurance and the ability to have that disposable income, keep it as long as you possibly can and continue to buy really, really good assets that you may or may not have to cash flow as much as I do because it's just what we do. But that asset is going to continue to grow and it gives you a little bit of competitive edge over everybody else. Kind of
1: like to touch on that for a second. You talked about real estate a lot in here today. Are there any other uh, investment classes that you look to as far as spreading your money up?
2: Yes. Um, I, I like real estate. It is, um, you know, you have to be what books I read and what got started. I mean, I've heard it. The Purple Bible, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's what got most real estate investors started. It's having that asset class um, that continues to produce income. It goes up in value. Uh, But my dad taught me investing from an early age and he was invested in some really speculative stuff. So I don't encourage that, but (laughs) I've got real estate is my conservative bracket. Um, You know, I've got some pretty favorable things about Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's going to be impressive. Now, what I do to hedge that from a business owner, I've got a capital one card that I get 2% reward money. They give me a check for $500 every time I hit and I throw it into Bitcoin. I mean, it's not my money. They're just gonna give it to me for free, so I'm gonna throw it in whatever the most aggressive thing I can. Is there anything other aggressive that you're playing on? <sighs> so I've always been Spencer big. Hiller, by the way. Shout out asked if uh, what other people are investing in. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in gold. Um, I like speculative stuff. We throw, you know, I've got gold investments, gold mining investments. Once again, not for everybody, and it's not the thing that you put most of your money into. You've got to have a bucket of speculative investment stuff i think bitcoin is that i mean you know if i'm just putting throwaway money and i use that term very loosely into bitcoin and it goes to a million dollars i'm pretty happy
0: i
1: think that's really cool i mean a lot of people when we get them in here feel like maybe we should start asking that question more honestly kind of diversify the conversation a little bit but just seeing the other aspects that people are involved in outside of real estate mm-hmm. those
0: are some pretty cool things so I would like to circle back, and we're talking about real estate specifically. I always tell people at least having one investment house is so – investment property is so important because you can write off a ton of shit, yeah. and So I, I, I love that, and I just wanted to – because I've got this circled a couple times on my notes is when you look for a property, can you give us three specifics? Because you said 20% down – um, cash flow specific neighborhood. What are three specific things when you look for a property now that an investor could
2: check mark as that criteria? So I'm going to give this answer. It's not going to be for everybody because we're we're spending a lot of money looking for houses. Um, my really my number one criteria is geography. Where is it located? Um, and and I mean I, I'll give you an example. We bought a house downtown that we bought for quote-unquote second home tax advantages um
0: make advantage of those guys
2: we we, we take advantage of them. we bought it on the mls this was three years ago on the mls my wife once again my wife when well, my wife looks at me and goes hey you should think about this house i yeah we'll do it so we bought it down there is a 100 south broad we had put our kids in school we thought we would be able to kind of go come and go and have we live in hickson so it'd be happy medium That didn't work out too well. My wife was trying to manage two households, so it was not the best decision. But the asset was, once again, an incredible area. Um, We didn't know that they were going to develop the lookout stadium and all that when we Mm -hmm. bought it. And, you know, now we've we've got it as a rental property. I would say geography is a big deal. Wherever you live, just drive your neighborhood. That's I mean, literally, that's what we did. The first house I did, we had bought our house. I drove— A few streets over, I saw a for sale by owner sign, I called the guy, he was going through a divorce. He said, just pay me what I owe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, 20 years ago, but still, it still works. As a real estate investor who does a lot of direct to seller marketing, I see the real estate transactions that are happening in our market. And a lot of those quote unquote deals, they're being bought by just individuals they're doing something and my question is what are they doing and i'm pretty sure they just have the knowledge of their neighborhood and when they see that house kind of deteriorate or have a know what's going on try to reach out just establish contact but i would say going back to your question i think geography is big for me depending on what your lifestyle is you if you want to manage it yourself you need to know what you're getting into because tenant management can be a headache it really can um, so A-B class properties is probably what I would recommend for folks that are actually working a job and wanting to get into that real estate aspect. Um, that's where I would start. So geography and if your wife says look at it. Those at, are, then those, you better those listen are good it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, now you say A-B class properties. I know a lot of people are instructed to invest in multifamily duplexes, et cetera, et cetera. We've gotten out of that just because... Uh, Well, it's a pain in the ass. So I read several years ago that single family homes are the way to invest because there's a lot of people that are wanting to raise their
2: family in a house and they don't want to buy a house. Do you do any multifamily? The property we sold was a duplex in East Ridge and we've got another duplex in Red Bank, but I'll keep that duplex in Red Bank because Mm -hmm. of the location and because of the the class of tenant is there. So... You know, the multifamily guys are going to argue that multifamily is the best. I, if I had an opportunity to buy another multifamily, I would. But I love single family I, because what you said. They take care of the place. They take care of the place. I mean, I texted you know, the freezing weather we had. I texted most of my tenants and said, hey, just a reminder. They go, we got you, man. We've already done all that that makes me feel wow. good you know they they are taking care of the place i'd say the two classes of people that i have fill out applications for me they're either moving to the area or they're in an apartment and most of the ones that are in i mean I, these are nice apartments they're saying we thought it was going to be this it turned out it wasn't we really want a home we want the space we want the privacy and so um that's yeah, I, I run into it all the time. I just, I mean, single families, there's, there's, you know, negative parts of it, the maintenance and stuff. Multifamily can make an argument that their maintenance is a little bit easier and easier to manage. But like you said, people like homes, people they like, like houses. Homes. Uh, I've got another question
0: for you. I mean, duplexes in red bank, by the way, uh, if anybody's listening, uh, they don't make those anymore and they're not permitting those anymore. So yep. if you can get a duplex in red bank, get that. Um, Application process. We're talking about if anybody wants to manage their property themselves. And I know we're heavy on rentals on this episode, but that's just what you do. So that's why we're heavy on this. I have always had the idea of when I show a place to rent, I really just need two things I need them to show up on time, and I need their car to be clean. Other I mean, I'll rent to them. That's the only things you gotta do. Because if you're not gonna take care of your car, you're not gonna take care of my house. So tell us about the application
2: process that you put your tenants through. All right. I think this is one of the best things that I can share. Um boom. When I started, once again, when I started my real estate business, I was working a W W two job. I was a sales guy, I was committed to it forty hours a week. So I didn't have a lot of time to show houses. First house we bought. Do a sign in the yard, put my phone number on it. Didn't do anything else. For rent, sign of the yard, phone number. I got blown up. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So the first thing I did is I took my phone number off the signs. I don't have anybody call me ever again. I put in my sign, for rent, it's got our, our logo on there, and I put details in window. And I print off an information sheet about the details of the property because kind of going back to your car thing if somebody's too lazy to get out of their car and walk to the window and read all the information before they call me i want them to disqualify themselves before i even go down that route oh so here's where i've kind of evolved that that strategy i don't even put a sign in the yard anymore um i put lock boxes on all my houses i haven't shown a house in forever so we use zillow um We use that platform, and then I've got my own application. I I basically have rental requirements on our website. So a tenant or an applicant can go to our website. They can read through our requirements and figure out, are they going to meet them? If they don't do that, I will not show them the house. I used to, and and the market has changed even the last six months, I used to require that they fill out the Zillow application before they're ever allowed to show a house or ever allowed to see one of my houses because I want to pre-qualify them before. And I'll tell them, your income doesn't meet our minimum standard or ask questions. And if, if they come back to me, that's fine. I had, I had one individual, you know, Zillow makes it automated pretty easy. And you get this, so-and-so wants to see their house. And I just, I have a pre-printed text that sends it back, says, here's our process. One guy said back, texted me back and said, I'm not gonna do that. You just need to show me your house. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you're not my tenant uh
0: i'm writing this down <laughs> if you've ever put a for rent sign carry this is for you my wife if you've ever put a for rent sign in the yard and put your phone number on it don't do it you're gonna you're yeah you're you get blown up, blown yeah. up. Yeah. and uh man super takeaway thank you for sharing that Allow them to disqualify themselves yeah,
2: first. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's big.
1: So you manage all these properties personally, right?
2: I manage 75% of them. I do have a property management company that does uh some of our, our um we got a house in Alton Park, we got some in Rossville, and I let them manage that because that tenant class is their specialty.
1: Hmm. Okay,
2: cool got you i mean you basically
1: answered my question there i was just gonna ask the uh reasoning behind that
2: yeah it's just it was one we bought the property we've got it's such a good deal cash flow is great i could afford to pay property management you know lower lower class properties they require more they require more manpower they require more labor they require more attention and so i just didn't have the capacity to do that because i am a business owner we got we have to grow I do most, if not all, the turns on our AB class properties. And like I said, just walking through that process that I described, I've limited the time that it takes me to do that. Gotcha. You don't do any short term, right? The house that I was mentioning that we bought downtown, um, we experimented doing midterm rentals on it, and that did not go very well. So I've always gone back to long term. I know the cash flow is there, but it just requires a lot of bandwidth and, and, and labor capacity that we just don't have right now that's fair uh
0: thomas if you'll allow me to get a little personal with you a lot of people i mean you're talking about loving to work and you obviously just grind i know that you have adopted Mm -hmm. three kids right how do you not just balance a work life because well i think we all know work life's kind of bullshit anyways it's just you got work and you got life right yep but what do you try to raise your kids how do you show them to be an entrepreneur and not like kill yourself doing it like how do you try to teach them the pros and cons of doing that
2: my kids will probably say that we communicate with them more than they would like okay (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> uh my wife and I she says she's an introvert but I I like to talk. I like to communicate. Um I'm an extrovert. We share a lot with our kids. We don't hold much back. I want them to know what we do, how we do it. I'm hopefully this won't offend anybody. We've got our kids are in private school. We've you know been able to do that. When I grew up, I went to public school and you had the private school, you know brats whatever you know. I'm not I am trying to stereotype but we all kind of know what we're talking about and I I want my kids to know that we work hard for that and that they need to understand we're trying to provide the best we can for them which is what most parents do but I don't want them to you know expect things I want them to appreciate everything and so we share with them a lot a lot of these houses uh, they've helped me clean out um so you bring them to work I bring them. them to work with me oh yeah yeah They've, they've seen it. They've seen, I mean, gosh, we, we bought one in, in Red Bank and the one I was mentioned to you in Ottawa, they, they went with me and cleaned it out. I mean, we, they're filling up 40 yard dumpsters <laughs> and, and, you know, they actually, I think they enjoyed it. They like seeing what we do. And your kids are old enough
0: to understand, by the way, if it offends you that Thomas <laughs> sends his kids to private school, <laughs> don't listen to this podcast, but because that's what we work for to put our kids through yeah we want to give them best opportunities absolutely. absolutely but they're old enough to understand that the reason you're cleaning out this 40-yard dumpster is so you can go to right. private school right that's cool that's hard what do you not show them as far
2: as the business goes not much wow i mean i say one of the things that we've done it, so my dad was I try to be a better dad than him. I love my dad. He has faults. But one of the things he did well is he taught me investments. And that's, I've tried to to educate our kids about investing at a very early age. I've said this before. We, I had a Schwab account when I was like 13. My kids have an investment account. They've got a savings account. They've got a bank account. We talk about deals. My daughter comes to me, usually at the wrong time, and asks me how much her investment account's worth. And and I'm trying to build in them not a love for money, but what money can do for you. How do you do that? I think it's just got to expose them to it. Um, expose them to what, how money can impact your life in a good and bad way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about
0: my kids <laughs> and I try to explain money to my five year old and I, thinking i'm getting a there's a a lot
2: of good youtube videos i'll give you some recommendations so absolutely uh speaking of recommendations yeah so youtube or books
1: so i saw that you uh you've had that book with you and wanted to ask you about that
2: what's it about what do you appreciate so most people in the real estate investment space it's it's very it's very competitive everybody that gets into this space like i said i mentioned it before there's a couple reasons that people think they want to get into this space it's financial freedom and time freedom and those are wonderful and what happens is you get into this collective group uh, and there's a competitive nature to it and then what you the reasons you get into it you start to lose those and you start to compare yourself to other people and you say well John's got a hundred houses. I got to get a hundred. Otherwise I'm a failure. And so, yeah, I brought this book in, uh, it's called rigging the game. It's by Dan Nicholson. It's how to achieve financial certainty, navigate risk and make money on our own terms. It walks you through what he calls the financial commandments. And one of the things that I had to reevaluate was why am I doing what I'm doing? I don't necessarily need a hundred houses. What I'm trying to do is accomplish the goals and and what I want for my family. And I mean, Malcolm, whatever Malcolm wants to accomplish, that's his goals. If I'm super satisfied with where I'm at, once again, trying to steward everything and, and grow, I don't have to feel guilty. If somebody else is quote unquote, doing better with their life than I am, if I am achieving the goals that I've set out for and the structure and and how I want my family to look, then I need to be proud of that. And as we do goals, the bad part about setting goals is once you hit them, well, you got to set new goals. We didn't set new goals this year. We just said, Hey, if we could repeat what we did last year, it's a win for us. And I'm good with that. I like that. That works for you. Yeah. I want 40 houses though. <laughs> I want to keep growing. And that's funny. My goal. So I'm 48. My goal is to have 50 houses by the time I'm 50. And somebody asked the other day, what are you going to do when you get there? Assuming I'll get there. And, and I said, you know what? I think we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Cause it's, it's what we do, but that's what I want to keep. You know, it, I don't have to get there. It's not like I'm, I'm going to feel less about myself. If we don't get there, or once we get there, I'm, don't feel that competitive nature to be, you know, all right. The goal is not to compete with everybody else. The goal is to figure out what you want in your life and go after it. Are you getting that from your book? Is yeah. It? Okay. It's, it's a cool. lot from it, absolutely. Well, I just downloaded that, so thank you. It's a
0: great book. Um, Thomas, is there anything you would like to share?
2: Anything else that we haven't covered uh, before we wrap up? I guess the biggest lesson that I can go back to... Um, is whatever you're doing, you need to be passionate about it. You need to love it. Coming from a sales background, my thing was I just wanted to help people in whatever capacity that was. And going back to this business and talk about entrepreneurs, you need to figure out why you're in business. And I, and I, I do believe this. Most entrepreneurs that are creators, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, you're never going to take that creative. You're never going to turn it off. It's just going to evolve into something else. So if you're thinking you want to be an entrepreneur to hit this end goal and stop, I don't think you're going to be successful. Yeah, that's powerful.
0: Because um, <laughs> it doesn't stop. No. Right? <laughs> In fact, I love when people's calls and they say, are you working today? I'm like, <laughs> I'm always working. I, I mean, okay, whatever. We're going to. I, I saw guess. you taking the trash out when I got here. <laughs> right, <so>. right. <laughs> Uh, so that being said, specifically as our podcast is square one, if you, I think you kind of answered it, but if you could go back to square one, when you were working your W2 job and so is your wife, what would you tell yourself that would propel you, uh, to the next level a little faster?
2: Don't sell that first house you bought in Chattanooga. <laughs> Regret. But I mean, that is in our specific industry, um, every house that we've sold, it's a loss. That's the goal. I mean, if you can manage it, I told my kids this, I said, do not sell anything. If we can give it to you and be able to pass it on, don't sell it. Find a way to hold on to it. But yeah, identify what you want in life. Have a vision. I mean, you corporate vision statements um, or you, have a vision for your life. Understand what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. Write that out on paper. Reflect back on it and ask yourself, is this still what I want to accomplish? And if it's not, you need to reevaluate that and get back in alignment with yourself and and your wife, possibly.
0: I like it. Thomas, I'd like to be specific about when you say don't sell something. Mm -hmm. The problem is if you don't sell anything, it takes all your cash. So are you... Getting a HELOC, a BLOC, are you refinancing? How can we grow by not
2: throwing all of yeah. the cash you have at something? That's a great point. Um, I mean, we are limited by our financial resources at some point. Absolutely. I mean, we are too. We ran into that. The reality is, there's a lot more ways to raise capital than than you think there are. Um, we have great relationships with local banks. I love them. We also have great relationships with private lenders if you can establish yourself and your credibility and let people know who you are, become trustworthy and you ask a question of folks, Hey, what do you do with that money? You know, what if I paid you interest on it? There's a lot of folks in Chattanooga that have a lot of money that's just sitting on the sidelines and they're probably could be in your sphere of influence, just asking them, Hey, what if I could pay you this amount of interest on that money? Would you consider loaning it to me? And just walk them through that. But you're right. I mean, there are ways to find liquidity. Um, home equity lines of credit, that's how we started. Uh, we got home equity lines of credit on just about every rental property that we had. It continued to help us grow. But going back to everybody that that not everybody can be a full-time real estate investor. Sure. So if you if you have that W-2 job, that gives you an advantage over folks that don't. And banks love you if you have a W-2 job. They will lend you more money. Um, So I would say, don't look at that as a negative. It could be an advantage that you have over over other people that want to be in the real estate investment space.
0: So the answer is to grow and acquire properties. It's a combination of things. It is a combination. HELOCs, bank
2: relationships, hard money. Absolutely. You just got to get out there and do something. Absolutely. Yeah. And not hard money. I mean, literally just asking your friends that have money. It's a little bit challenging to do when interest rates are what they are now, but I mean, there's, you know, we asked some of our family members, just friends we went to church with, it it was a win-win situation for all of us.
1: I do have one last question, because this is something I think, especially being in Chattanooga and it being a pretty difficult uh, investing market real estate wise, when you look to like other areas of the country that might be a lot easier to step into from a like real estate investing standpoint what's your take on that so if i was like there's a great deal to be found in like hannibal missouri yeah
2: you better know somebody in hannibal missouri i mean really you better know somebody you can trust in hannibal missouri otherwise your property is going to just get trashed and you can do that you can there's there are companies out there turnkey companies there's ways to get into real estate and there's more ways to get into real estate investing than there has ever been. It is more difficult. And, and I'll just go back to this, not to kill anybody's dream, but not everybody can be a real estate investor as sexy as it sounds and looks like not every And you know, it's kind of going back to, I've almost had the same conversation about being a real estate agent. People ask me, Hey, should I get my license? Well, what do you think that's going to be like? And they have a perception of what being a real estate agent, and it's not even close to what being a real estate agent really is because being a real estate agent is work. You got to grind it out, especially in these markets. So that's where it is. You got to figure out what you want to do. And if it's real estate, figure out why you want to do it and then have a conversation with somebody that's done it before, done more than you have, and they'll be willing to share.
0: You know, when it comes to real estate investing, I've always asked myself, what is something that you can buy that pays for itself, that increases in equity? Mm -hmm. I love and please, if anybody's listening, I'd love a different answer because I would love to invest in anything else. Right. Um, Isaiah had posed a really good question. I think you and several other people, held the majority of our clients invest in Chattanooga because the cost of living is low. We've been ranked super high on a place to retire, a place to live. We have the fastest internet in the United States. We have some really cool outdoor spaces. We're bringing the new Lookout Stadium. There's a lot of pros. I mean, the cost of buying a house is higher now, but it used to be low. Yes. Um, so... Are there any other markets that you're looking at?
2: So, North Georgia is one that we've just started to look at. Like I said, when we started, I I wouldn't buy anything that was south of the river, being North River Properties. We've started to do that. Um, Got a couple houses in Lafayette. I think what you're seeing, because of the economic shift that we've had in Chattanooga, people are willing to commute a little bit longer. Specifically, the last house we bought in Lafayette, I looked at the city inspector, and I asked him, I said, John... Should I hold this house? And he told me, quote, this, Thomas, if you could go back to downtown Chattanooga, Hill City, and buy as many houses as you could, would you do it? Yeah, of course. Well, he said, that's how I feel Lafayette is going to be, because you've got Rome to the south of it, Chattanooga to the north. It's a great rural community. So Rossville, I mean, there's some still areas of Rossville, lots of areas of Rossville that need a lot of houses to be fixed up um so i would say that north george is good there's a lot of folks that are looking to cleveland periphery areas like dayton you know as we grow chattanooga is continuing to grow you've got mcdonald farms and the economic development that's going out there so yeah it, it's going to be a big deal one of those houses we sold literally right down the street from mcdonald farms <laughs> uh yeah written that Thomas DeMoss with Chattanooga Property
0: Solutions. Thank you very much for your time and coming uh, and blessing us with your presence today, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Square One Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Omni Home Services, where we rep Chattanooga Home Inspector, Nuclear Pest Control, Elevate Home Staging and Design, and Radon Eraser. We release a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe on
1: Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.